I think what this program has really taught me is to always remain curious and really keep questioning. And that means that sustainability is always about making trade-offs. And there's a couple of things we can think about for evaluating those trade-offs. But I think the more we keep questioning, the more we keep pushing, both from a policy perspective, but also as consumers, we have a huge amount of opportunity to really tell the companies that we're purchasing from that this is what we care about. That means that they'll be more accountable in theory. At least that's what I hope. Welcome to Business Beyond Usual. My name is David, and we are recording live from the Ross School of Business once again. I'm here with Radhika, and today we're going to be talking about sustainability at Ross, the Herb Dual Degree, and Climate Cap, which Ross is hosting this year. Before we get started, we want to encourage you to get in touch. We always love engaging with our listeners, and we'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at bbupodcast at umich.edu. That's bbupodcast at umich.edu. Follow us on Instagram at Ross underscore BBU. That's Ross underscore BBU. And feel free to DM us there as well. Ask us questions, suggest episode topics, or just say hello. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Well, just like we do in every episode, we want to start with some group introductions. So we'll just go around, uh, introduce ourselves. I can get us started. Listeners, I think, usually know my name. I've been here so many times. But this is David. I'm from Brazil, born and raised, but kind of moved all over the place. Before Ross, I was in consulting. I'm going back to consulting uh, after Ross. And that's a little bit about me. Uh, Supriya, do you want to take it away? Thanks, David. Hi, everyone. My name is Sapria. I am currently a third-year dual-degree student between the School for Environment, Sustainability, and Ross, or Erber, as you will learn during this episode. Uh, Prior to Ross, I worked in tech consulting for a little over five years. And during my time here at Ross, I've been super involved in the impact ecosystem, um, served as the previous co-president of Net Impact, um, and I'm currently serving as the co-president of the Herb Student Advisory Board. And post-Ross, I'm hoping to get back in the sustainability world, TBD on the exact job, but in the works. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, My name is Jillian Brown. I'm in good company here. I was also a consultant before Ross. I did innovation consulting. Um, I am also a third-year dual-degree student, and I am co-president this year of HERB with Sapria. I also founded the Moms Group at Ross, the Mambas, um, and I'm also involved in the Marketing Club as well. Uh, My goals for after Ross are really to position myself into the future of food um, and to think about how do we produce, consume, and discard food sustainably. Uh, Turning it over to Radhika. Thanks, Jillian. Um, My name is Radhika Honda. I am also another fellow herber here. I'm currently a first year starting at the School for Environment and Sustainability and will be at Ross next year. Prior to coming back to school, I worked as a manager at PwC doing cool finance things, but really always was very interested in climate and sustainability and figured it would be time to come back and kind of build out that foundation. So hoping to pivot into something more socially impact driven. Well, thank you everyone for introducing yourselves. We have an exciting segment ahead of us, but we like to start with an icebreaker. Um, just to get you know our juices flowing. And here's a question that I want to ask you guys. When you think about the word nature, what is the first landscape that pops into your mind? And I can start. 
whenever somebody says, oh, let's go outside or, you know, go out to nature, spend more time in nature, I usually think about mountains and the woods. That's probably because I spent a big part of my life in Utah, uh, right by the Rocky Mountains. That sounds gorgeous. I would say the beach popped into my mind, but uh, here outside today, it's pretty cloudy and gloomy. So I'm really thinking about getting into some sunshine in, on the beach. That makes sense. Yeah, I think about an icy sort of Arctic nature landscape. Wow. Um, You're right I, at home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's just a function of the weather right now, but um, I think some of the more stunning landscapes I've seen have been like a glacier or something like that. But to be honest, when I think of nature, we have like a thing in herb where we put herb into every word. So we use nature herb a lot. So that was my first Sensational. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. What about you, Radhika? Uh, much like Jillian, I immediately thought of the shore. I'm from Jersey, so the ocean, the beach, everything just pops into mind. Um, yeah. I don't spend as enough time as I should out by the shore, but I just love being there when I can. Cool. Well, we're going to jump into our first segment today. Um, we're going to be talking about the Herb Institute and the Herb Dual Degree Program. So, Supri and Jillian, would you do us a favor of introducing us to a little bit more about the Herb Institute? Give us a brief intro, any sort of fun facts and tidbits about the program? Absolutely. So, as I mentioned briefly, the Herb Institute is a joint initiative between the School for Environment and Sustainability and the Ross School of Business and really serves both undergraduates and graduates that are pursuing a dual degree between business and sustainability. Um, so we are a three-year program or two and a half if you're crafty with your credits um, where you get an MS and an MBA as well. We are actually a 26-year-old program the oldest in the country, I believe, and one of the only endowed institutes for business and sustainability until recently the Dower School of Sustainability at Stanford. So we like to say that we went up to that. And we are about 60 students strong and service a wide variety of career paths and interests um, ranging anywhere from brand management like Jillian's going into to VC and finance. Um, and we really pride ourselves on how strong our community is. That's a result of the strong alumni base that has come out of 26 years of involvement. Um, Jillian, any thoughts to add there? Yeah, I think something that I really love about the Institute is the vision, which is to create a sustainable world through the power of business. So really, it's about uniting these two disciplines together when a lot of people see them at odds, but really we see them as symbiotic. So it's how do we leverage the best of both worlds to create something really sustainable for the future. Um, some interesting facts, you know, we think here is uh, when it comes to the herb class specifically, 51% of alumni currently earn at least 125 to 250,000 annually. So not only is this, you know, impactful, but it can also be lucrative, which is exciting. Most of our herb students tend towards uh, for-profit institutes. So about 78% are going to for-profit companies and then trailed by nonprofit and NGOs. And government. And we also see, as Sapria said, people are going to various industries, but we do see a lot of folks going into consulting, energy, and kind of a, a range of things from there. And when you mean um, 
students will usually go to for-profit organizations. I mean, you mentioned some industries, but that also includes like sustainability-related roles in big companies like you know Nike or you know whatever it is. is that what you mean? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Cool. And then Supriya, you mentioned that Herb is 26 years old. Yeah. That's incredible, actually. Yeah. Um, that's been around that long. Absolutely. Frederick and Barbara Herb endowed our program, and that's why we're called the Herb Institutes. Um, and a huge advantage we have is actually being the institute. We have our own staff, faculty, postdocs, and so there's a really robust academic structure that comes with that, um, with just forefront leading research in the space, as well as just having like a staff member to ask about what class should I take, mm-hmm. how do I balance my finances out, like all those sort of questions. Okay, cool. That's awesome. I think to that point, Supriya, that was something that really factored into my decision into joining the HERB program here. Um, So I guess continuing on, what were some of the factors that came to play in your decision to coming to Ross and joining HERB yourselves? Absolutely. Yeah, Radhika, I remember you coming to campus (laughs) and meeting you at the GBR event, (laughs) which is awesome. Um, But for me personally, actually, one of the biggest reasons I picked Ross was because of the dual degree program. I knew I wanted to be part of a dual degree. I really wanted to have a lot of different perspectives on a problem as complex as the climate crisis. And so knowing that I had this sort of joint venture was a huge one up for me. But honestly, what really factored in was just when I started talking to current students at the time, it's very corny, but I just really had felt like I'd met my people who had like understood what I was saying and how I was feeling. And they hugely helped me through the entire application process. And I really like to embody that energy going forward and pay it forward as well. And I think that's a huge part of our community here. Yeah, I would say very similar things drew me in. Um, So like I had mentioned before, I was a consultant. I worked on innovation projects. So I got a front seat to designing new services, experiences, products. It was really creative, interesting work. But what I realized is I loved solving problems, but I didn't love the problems I was solving anymore. And that really forced me to think about what is it that I want to do with my career How do I want to make an impact? And so after about 10 years of consulting, I was like, okay, it's time to get into climate and kind of help with this climate crisis that we're in right now and turn these innovation skills towards that. Um, And so there are three programs at the time when I applied. There were three main programs to apply to, two of which are at other schools. Um, And so I obviously applied to Michigan, and I am forever grateful that I got into Michigan and chose to come here because I think what Sapria said is the collaboration is just off the charts. I remember uh, now alums said to me, you know, it's awesome that we go up for the same jobs, but we really help each other out. It's not a competitive cutthroat environment, and I knew I wouldn't succeed in a place like that. And so, it, you know, Michigan and specifically the HERB program checked so many boxes and allowed me to do exactly what I wanted to do at a top 10 MBA program and then also like a renowned environmental school. So it was it's kind of a no-brainer. Um, and now as we come to the end of this, I can really see the value that we've been able to have for the last three years. The HERB Institute also puts out a lot of really good research and In one of the latest articles, um, it's said that 76% of consumers will refuse to purchase a company's products if the company supports an issue contrary to their core beliefs. What are some ways citizens can tell if a company is making genuine strides towards sustainability? Yeah, this is a tough question, (laughs) but um, I I think this is something as herbers we— 
grapple with internally and externally within the program. Um, I think, as the article points out, there's a huge amount of greenwashing that happens within the industry. And I think we, to have this conversation, really have to acknowledge that, like, a choice of picking a more eco-friendly product is a privilege in itself in a lot of ways, which is the article that the research that just came from was a lot thinking about the justice aspects of sustainability and environmental justice. So I don't know if I have a good answer of, like, how you can tell companies are genuine, but I, I think what this program has really taught me is to always remain curious and really keep questioning, and that means that sustainability is always about making trade-offs and there's a couple of things we can think about for evaluating those trade-offs but I think the more we keep questioning the more we keep pushing both from a policy perspective but also as consumers we have a huge amount of opportunity to really tell the companies that we're purchasing from that this is what we care about that means that they'll be more accountable in theory at least that's what I hope but what do you think, Jillian? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, too. I mean, I totally plus one everything that you said. I think um, there's a lot of power that an individual consumer has. I mean, even just going myself into a CPG company post-graduation, a lot of data comes from consumers and consumer trends. So the more that people are clamoring for the things they want that are more sustainably driven, that does make an impact. But I mean, for myself as just an individual consumer, I don't know about you, Supriya, but I spend a lot of time online looking at reviews, seeing, um, you know, about the companies themselves, what other consumers say, maybe even Reddit threads, depending on what it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do think there's just a lot of onus on the consumer to kind of check out if they think this company is genuine or not. And I don't think that's a wonderful answer, but I think that's the reality that we're in current place. I do think consumers can look for certifications and other things by third parties that do help with credibility. Um, another thing I'd say too, and this is a little in the weeds, is you know every consumer has access to public companies' um, sustainability reports or annual reports. And that is something you can look at and say, like, do I agree with the goals that they're setting? Um, do I think that this is the strategy that they should be going down and that can help inform your decision? But again, that puts a lot of onus on the consumer. Absolutely. I also want to shout out Jillian for taking the onus on herself and she did a impact project, which is basically you can self-source a project and get some funding through the Herb Institute where she worked with the city of Ann Arbor to help make composting more accessible for citizens. Is that Thank right? You. Yeah, <laughs> we tried. Yeah. <laughs> it's very challenging is what I learned. Um, but yeah, no, it was a really interesting way to kind of understand how a government works, which again is, um, it can be very consumer driven. We focus a little bit more on municipalities. Every municipality has different ways to go about composting. Um, and so if nothing else, I learned how hard it is to change the system, but it is worth it over time. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, just based on this, I have another question. It seems like Herb, you know, with the research that they do, such as, you know, what was written in this article and the kinds of projects that you can um, create, like what Jillian did and is doing, there's a lot of resources, a lot of things that Herb does to help uh, improve this awareness around these topics, right? Other than, you know, this article, other than, you know, the project that we just mentioned, is there anything else that comes, you know, top of mind that, you know, Herb has or does to help increase that awareness among the students that come and then graduate and go out into the world? I think the opportunity that Herb provides to really create your own adventure is probably the best resources we have. Like, this idea for composting came out mm -hmm. of, like, a 
workshop that we were co-creating around design thinking and sustainability. And then it was like, wait, like, this is like recycling, composting, like, Mm -hmm. we can barely do it. Like, if a person who doesn't think about this 24-7 can't access this, like, what does that mean? And, like, you can go do something about it. And so... I think the fact that we're an endowed institute that has resources is a huge advantage that allows us to really pursue our passions in a meaningful way. Um, But beyond that, what I've really found is just this value that having the stamp of approval that a dual degree Mm -hmm. brings has been huge for me. Um, I've spent two summers interning in Apple sustainability world and have just seen the vast amount of power that can happen when you can make a 1% change Mm -hmm. um, in a supply chain, in a labor force, whatever that might be. Um, But just broader than that, just the connections that we have to other schools within the university. I've been able to be part of the COP27 delegation that went to Egypt. I went to Alaska for my MAP project and learned about heat pumps. I went to Denmark and learned about ocean sustainability. I went to Greenland and did sustainability for Arctic solutions. And that's like all what I really credit for being part of this institute, directly or indirectly. Wow. What was Greenland like? I mean, is that why you think about Arctic <laughs> yeah. landscapes now? I weirdly have a lot of focus in Arctic sustainability things <laughs> over the years. Yeah, that's awesome. We but, only have so much Arctic in the world. You yeah, know? and they're just like, there's incredibly interesting things about with the ice caps melting, it creates sort of a direct pathway of trade routes. And so there's huge implications to business and sustainability, um, as well as just protection of indigenous and Inuit culture um, that has really served those lands for a long, long time now. Awesome. I think also, and you can quote me on the number here, Sapria, but I think we have over 650 alum. Mm-hmm. give or take, um, in the world, in all different positions, at all different companies and in industries. And so I think that in of itself is really just a huge asset is just having that reach of alumni. And then obviously we have access to the Ross and C's alum as well. Um, but I really see the Institute trying to find different ways, especially locally with some of the initiatives that they take on to really further the sustainability name and herb just in general in the community as well. So the herb looks at many different levels, um, whether it's global in the U.S. or in our own backyard. Yeah, they have a Michigan Sustainability Business Roundtable. They have a Corporate Political Responsibility Task Force. So there's these aspects that are happening at an academic institutional level as well as sort of a bottom-up perspective of like what students are interested in and are driving forward on a day-to-day perspective. Um, which is awesome. But I think we also forgot to mention the most powerful resource, which is just beyond our alumni, just our own community Mm -hmm. that exists of helping each other. I'm in the room with Nick, who's coming on later, and Jillian, her two of my closest friends in this program. And I feel like we've been through a lot of things (laughs) together during these three years. But just having that support of knowing we're bridging two worlds that don't always feel like they're synonymous or really go together is a huge advantage of this program as well. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's actually a good segue to a next question that we have here. I want to go back to the more you know career-oriented aspects of HERB and just kind of the types of outcomes that students are looking for when they join HERB. Um, I mean, we have third years here with us and wanted to know a little bit more about what are the most impactful resources at HERB that you've leveraged 
thinking about your career, you know, whether it's, you know, career development, whether it's networking, whatever has helped you get that role or that, you know, job that you were looking for, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that we haven't touched on yet that I think is one of the biggest assets of doing HERB or a dual degree program is that you get two internships, which sounds minor that you have two summers, but it really allows you to try different things. So my first summer in the program, I was able to work for a ag tech startup which was super interesting. And then this past year, I was able to recruit with a corporation um, for brand management. And so I think that is just something that's super interesting. And seeing uh, just straight rosters, like my husband go through the program, Mm. it can be very constrained to say, oh my goodness, I have to pick everything I want to do in just one summer. Um, So I really feel so lucky that I've been able to take advantage of that aspect um, that is a bit unique to the herb experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to add to that as well, I think one cool thing we have is um, what we call herb seminars. We basically have to take like a class that you go to as part of your first year. And typically we spend like two days in Detroit, like meeting local social entrepreneurs. And for me, it was a super impactful experience because Detroit is such a, you know, trying to revitalize type of city. And it's incredible to see the amount of love that's pouring into the community there and to recognize that whether you're at the UN Global Conference or you're just helping the community that's within you, it's an equal amount of power. Um, But also what's been really helpful for me is like if I have a question that came up during my internship or things like that, just being able to reach out to faculty that I've had relationships with for now three years and really been able to deepen and utilize that network has been huge because sustainability problems can be very complicated and unknown. So it's nice to have some partners to bounce things off with. Absolutely. And I'd say not only from a faculty perspective, but also just alum perspective as well. I mean, now that we're third years, we know a range of people um, in terms of, you know, people that are recent alums or just people that have graduated quite a while ago. And I truly have not had a message go out to an herb alum that hasn't been responded to. I mean, it might take a little bit of time, but this community, whether it's a recent alum or, you know, very much in the past, are so happy to help each other. Um, it's really kind of this bond through life, as corny as that sounds. And so I think that has also been instrumental in terms of networking and just connections or just building relationships. Plus one to all of that. (laughs) I I remember in my journey in joining the herb program, I think I had a 100% hit rate with every herber that I reached out to, and that was amazing for me. But I guess moving on to our next question, in light of everything that we've just discussed, what do you guys think might be next big steps for Rost and or the MBA program in general um, in terms of taking sustainability and impact to the next level? Yeah, I think Ross is really uniquely positioned with the Herb Institute to really push sustainability to the forefront and have been doing a really good job doing so. We, Julia and I have actually met like recently with the dean and talked about a lot of these things. And there's a huge amount of passion and interest um, from the administration level, but also from the student level. Um, So I think the next step is really how can we integrate this into every type of class that we take and not view it as such a separate pathway. And we also are launching our second Ross Climate Week, which is really a week catered to help Ross students think about 
sustainability skill sets they might need in their jobs going forward, whether you're going to consulting or finance or you're going into a sustainability role. What do you think, Jillian? Yeah, it's definitely, this is a top of mind question. Like Sapria said, we've been chatting with folks about this in the dean's office. But I would say something that as we think about to equipping our students in the next generation of leaders, sustainability skills are not going to be ancillary. They're going to be embedded in every industry and every function. So we are somewhat doing a disservice to our next generation of leaders if we're not teaching this. So do we have to teach climate science? Maybe not. But we do need to teach aspects of like sourcing and supply chain um, and just different things to consider as a business leader. So I'd love to see in the next, you know, however many years, this is just integrated into the core learning um, and just part of offerings and classes. And I think, like Sapria said, we're so well poised as an institute to do that. You have both schools here and available and students already learning the two disciplines that this is something that we could leverage very easily, I think. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, from what you're saying and what I'm understanding is hopefully we can integrate this, you know, whatever the industry is, whatever role you're in. Um, think about, you know, how does what I do and the decisions I make impact, you know, the environment, sustainability, um, and how can I bring this into, you know, my, my day-to-day life and work? Yeah, definitely. And I think this will be even more pronounced depending on how the SEC rulings go. And that might be a little in the weeds. Mm-hmm. Um, but this may very well be mandated one day is that hopefully <laughs> yeah. that you have to um, report on your emissions. And so that's going to mm-hmm. be, again, incumbent on leaders to say, OK, our emissions are really high in these key areas. So how are we going to cut those down? So you know, it's not mandated today, but I do think people are going to need to be equipped with a deeper level understanding of how to kind of maneuver all these different levers. Awesome. Well, thank you, Supriya and Jillian, for that, um, for those comments. I think that concludes uh, the first segment of today's episode. Um, And so again, thank you, Jillian. Thank you, Supriya. Uh, We're going to take a, a brief pause now to hear from our sponsor. So stick around for the second half where we will discuss climate cap with a seasoned herb dual degree, Nick Rojas. Hi, this is Sapria from Ross Climate Week, also the co-president of the Herb Student Advisory Board. Although we have an amazing dual degree program, we are passionate about ensuring that all of the student body has access to the climate and sustainability related skill sets that are needed, which is why we launched Ross Climate Week, which is an all student led initiative and a week long of activities ranging from anything from greenhouse gas accounting to climate financing. So check out RossClimateWeek.com for more information. Well, welcome back. We're going to get started with our second segment where we're going to talk about Climate Cap, which Ross is hosting this year. And we have our good friend and third-year herb student, Nick Rojas. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Nick. Uh, We're super excited to have you on the podcast and also to talk about your background and climate cap. Uh, But just to get ourselves started here, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? What did you do before Ross? What are you involved with currently? And what do you plan on doing after Ross? Sounds good. Uh, Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me here on the show. Really excited to be here and tell you a bit more about, you know, climate cap and this endeavor that's been, you know, a year plus in the making here Mm -hmm. that we're incredibly excited to to get to host in in a few weeks. But uh, briefly about myself, I'm born and raised in Sacramento, California, and went to school down in SoCal, 
moved back up to the Bay Area afterwards, Mm -hmm. where I was working in mostly program and project management for a variety of startups, and really enjoyed the work I was doing. It was fast-paced, you know, no day was the same, but very much got to a point where I felt like I was more or less slinging software for whatever cool new startup or innovative solution for uh, usually a business problem was needed. And this was at a time when I was really starting to question a little bit of what did I want not just my job to be, but my career to be? Mm -hmm. What did I want to do, you know, not just in my 20s to pay college debt off and to, you know, begin to build some economic stability, but what was something that was going to get me out of bed on those really difficult days? Mm -hmm. You know, a bit of what was going to be my legacy? What was all this work I was going to do for my lifetime really going to result in? And this was at a time as well where, you know, you couldn't help but see more and more signs of what was happening to our planet, yeah, our changing climate. I mean, I remember I'd, I'd already gone down the path of looking at preparing myself for graduate school to start looking at these roles. But I woke up one morning in San Francisco in my apartment and thought something had gone wrong with my alarm because it was 9.30, 10 Mm a.m., and it was still dark outside. I was like, something's up. And I went up on my rooftop, and there was just a apocalyptic orange glow that had encased the entire city. Uh, Almost something, you know, right out of a sci-fi novel, yeah. uh, and, uh, like out of Blade Runner. And you're like, what is going on? And it was from all the fires in Northern California that had been, you know, just raging for mm-hmm. weeks on end. And that smoke and everything was funneling out of the Central Valley where it was trapped. Mm-hmm. You know, my folks back in Sacramento were having an AQI of 350. And now it was all funneling its way out to the Pacific through the one, the one channel. And so... If prior things weren't enough of a wake-up call for me, that, that certainly was. And I think really reinforced the opportunity I had to not just come back to business school to find a new job, but really to say, what is my new career? And that, in short, is what set me on you know, picking a business school that I thought was going to prepare me for this career. That was going to be my legacy. And you know, Michigan, with this dual degree program, that Supriya and Jillian were you know, so eloquently able to mm-hmm. talk about and describe is what brought me back and to here to Michigan specifically. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And in fact, I mean, what you just described over in California actually happened a lot closer here, like recently, right? Over in New York and um, from the fires uh, over in Canada, right? Yeah, I was here this last summer in, in yeah. Michigan. I was working yeah. in Detroit for a, a, a VC firm do, uh, working on climate. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I, I don't need to worry about the forest fire thing. Like, I'm, I'm out here in Michigan, right? Yeah. We're a climate haven. Everything's fine. Right. And, and I'm like, I'm driving back and like my eyes are watering from all the smoke from the forest fires that have been burning out in Canada that have been blowing over. And it was another just important reminder too, right? Even in a climate haven like Michigan, we're still not safe because we're in a whole planetary system. You know, things that might not have a direct impact in our one spot still bleed over in some way, right? Our atmosphere is all tied together. Our oceans are all tied together. Our land use is all tied. Like, And so, you know, you can try to remove yourself from it, but short of being a billionaire, like we're all going to be feeling the effects of it. And so you can continue to put your head in the sand around it or acknowledge it and start saying, well, what are we going to do about it? And that's part of what I get excited about talking every day. No, yeah, absolutely. And thanks for sharing that. And I just want to make sure I heard one thing right. Did you mention something called uh, AQI? Yeah. Yeah. What is that exactly? Oh, sorry. Yeah. That's uh, air quality index. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, and so it's just an easy way of knowing, you know, yeah. how much matters up in the air, how safe is it to breathe the air around you. Uh, it's become such a known thing in, in California and out west. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, the AQIs, you know, way up here and anything north of like 60, 70 starts getting dangerous for folks. You know, that's in and of itself an interesting thing to think about where, you know, in some parts of the world or country, people know immediately what AQI means <laughs> and some don't, you know, and how is that a reflection of, you know, the things that are going on around us? Sure. Um, so cool. But thank you for, for clarifying that. Um, I guess just one last question, um, you know, about your history. I mean, you touched a little bit on this, but I just wanted to make sure our listeners understood all the things that you just described and, you know, the things that, you know, keep you up at night or motivate you to get out of bed, tying that back to Ross, you know, how did that factor into your decision to one, get an MBA and get an MBA here at Ross? Yeah. So when I was focused at looking at, you know, what are going to be some of those specific roles and positions I might want to do Mm post-grad with, with having worked in, in startups, you know, I was familiar with the tech industry I knew a lot of these large tech firms had made very public commitments to being carbon neutral, net zero, you know, insert buzzy word that no one really fully understands. And a lot of them don't really know how they're going to get there. And so they need folks to help them get there. They need program and project managers like myself. Mm -hmm. Most of these roles, though, and I'm still understanding why, had requirements of being a consultant for five to 10 years or having an MBA. And I was like, well... I think I could do a lot of this work. I don't have consulting uh, experience on paper. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? Let's go get this MBA. And in that journey in looking at MBAs, you know, a, f- a few things were really important to me. One was, what is a school that's going to prepare me professionally? So mm-hmm. literally providing the coursework I need to fill in my own gaps. I come from a background. My degree was in geography. So I Certainly have worked in businesses, have done a host of operator functions, founded a company of my own, but have never had an opportunity to get business fundamentals. So that was important. You can more or less find that at any business school. But what was going to be a a school where I had the opportunity to also learn a lot of the scientific fundamentals that I needed and really have that opportunity to separate myself from any other MBA from all these fantastic institutions across the globe vying for these same roles. I can say, you know, I've taken the time to take these courses. Um, I've shown that commitment. And I actually have at least a baseline understanding on the fundamentals. And so, especially in the work I want to do here now in VC that I'm interested in, it really helps us, you know, sort of sniff out, is this a viable option? Is this, you know, what they're promising, what they can do around a new energy source, what they can do around, you know, creating a more circular economy? Is this scientifically viable? You know, we can address the business model and all that piece, and that's great. But especially for early stage, you just sort of need to understand, is this even possible? And my coursework through the School for Environment Sustainability has enabled that. And so that was a huge piece for me. I'd say the second piece in You know, something I always tell folks as a student ambassador and just Mm -hmm. going around, think about a place where you're not only going to spend two, three years, in my case, of your life, but what is a community of people, of individuals, who you want to identify with for the rest of your life? And that has always been a, a huge factor in anything I do. The organizations I volunteer with, the companies I work for, the schools I go to, the, the friends I keep, mm-hmm. those communities are reflections of your values, of what's important to you, um, and who you want to identify and spend your precious time with. And 
I was shocked at the level of kindness, the level of investment in my own success that I got from Ross students during the application process. And that in and of itself, I think, meant more than anything and was a huge driver in me wanting to come here as well. And then to not only attend the university, Mm -hmm. but then to have the same sense of giving back. I'd always ask them, like, oh, my goodness, like, you just, like, essentially helped walk me through this whole application process. Mm -hmm. Or you just gave two hours of your time to help me evaluate which of these two schools I should be going to, Mm -hmm. giving, like, the most objective criteria, like, how on earth can I help you? Or, like, thank you to, like, for doing this. And they were like, just do the same when someone else sends that email to you. Pay it forward. Just pay it forward. And so, like, it's just really stuck with me. And these are, Mm -hmm. you know, some students I keep in touch with and others, you know, I I haven't as much. And But, like, that is just the sense of this is how we build community. Yeah. We we don't have to build community by, you know, spending the most money on a trip, by, you know, all these other, you know, measures that seem to be ingrained in business school. But it's like, do you actually enjoy your time with your classmates? Mm -hmm. And that's just something I really appreciate and drew me here. And, you know, without a doubt has been a, a huge reason I am a Rosser now, but like will be for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's been a common theme in today's episode. You know, Supriya and Jillian mentioned how, you know, they also had this specific goal, you know, with their MBA uh, and a specific outcome for their career, but they knew that they, they needed to, to get that in a specific community, you know, that shared, you know, common values. Um, and, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think just going off of being intentional with building that community, um, pivoting towards Climate Cap, that's one of the largest climate-driven conferences that is put on for MBA students. Um, I was wondering, Nick, if you could tell us a little bit more about the conference in general, what are its objectives, um, how it's structured, what sort of panels, activities, or events can be expected from it. Sure. So Climate Cap's pretty unique, I'd say, from, you know, opportunities you have to engage as an MBA student in that, you know, it, it started in 2018, um, was first hosted at, at Duke at the Fuqua School and is uh, housed in their EDGE program, which is more or less the equivalent of the Herb Institute that we have here. Mm-hmm. But from the get-go, the idea was not to have, you know, Duke and EDGE own own it in perpetuity and be the only drivers, it was meant to be a collaborative um, program. And so from from that start, there were partner schools that signed on. And, you know, the Herb Institute and the Ross School were early early sign-on partners. And so with that, we, you know, have been sending students, we've been very interested in, you know, shaping the program. You know, our, our educators meet with their educators um, to build it out. But the conference itself, the summit, rotates every year between different schools. And so the first summit was put on back in 2018. Then in 2020, UVA Darden hosted. There was a break for COVID. And then in 2022, it went to Kellogg uh, Northwestern. And that was actually my first climate cap I got to go to. Then last year, it was at uh, University of Texas Austin uh, McCombs. And now we are fortunate to be uh, the next hosts coming up this year. What's What's wonderful is that, you know, now there's over 40 different partner schools across the globe that are signed on. We have students that are coming uh, for our summit from across North America. We're expecting over 500 attendees. 
And it's really an opportunity to say, what does the intersection of business and climate look like? You know, two important topics that drive a lot of what happens on this planet who, you know, more and more are having opportunities to come to the table, you know, communities that are are disparate, but oftentimes still viewed in tension with mm-hmm. one another. That, ah, a gain or a loss for one must mean a gain or a loss for the other. Yeah. That, ah, this must mean that there is a trade-off here and it must mean, you know, the, the equivalent on the other side. And so what gets me excited about Climate Cap and really the work in general is say, well, you know, Yes, that, that might be the case, and certainly for some, some difficult, hard-to-decarbonize sectors. But where can we think more creatively on more opportunities to build value that doesn't result in a net loss on one side? Mm-hmm. How can we create a and have these discussions to understand and learn more, like where we can create not only a more environmentally sustainable world, but a more socially and economically sustainable world as well? Mm-hmm. that then ends up having all these co-benefits we can't even imagine, right? So these are some of the discussions that we've had at Climate Cap that I'm excited to have. Mm-hmm. We're setting up a ton of sessions, you know, trying to really bring to the forefront ideas around embedding equity into environmental work, mm-hmm. which historically has been, you know, pretty monochromatic, has okay. featured, you know, mostly the work from the global north, mm-hmm. from, you know, highly educated folks who have frankly not addressed the problems mm-hmm. of lower income people, of you know communities of color, of communities that are bearing the burden of climate change today already. Mm-hmm. Literally an existential crisis to stay alive in this moment, let alone what's going to happen on for the next, you know, 30, 40, 50 plus years. Mm-hmm. And so how do we bring these perspectives to the table? for all these, you know, future business leaders of America and the world, right? These are the people, if any, that need to be hearing these perspectives, that need to be having these these tough conversations. You know, a good equivalent I heard that I read was failing to prepare business leaders for climate change today is like failing to prepare business leaders of the 1990s for globalization. Interesting. It's just that fundamental. Like, there's just, like... There is no role that is not going to be impacted by climate change. And so our hope is to bring students together, have these conversations, learn more, you know, find your tribe. Where can I plug in? Regardless of your role, what is, what is my opportunity to plug in to, you know, to have these conversations? The debate over whether climate change is real and caused by humans is, is done. Now we get to talk about what the heck are we going to do about it? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And um, one quick follow-up question you mentioned the importance of people attending uh, conferences and events like this. For Climate Cap specifically, is this exclusive to students at Ross, to Herb students? Like who can attend the conference? What kind of people attend the conference? So in the charter of the summit is all MBAs are invited. And I think that's also a really cool, unique opportunity we have is to bring MBAs, you know, not just from our own little bubble here that we have within Herb, within Ross, but to hear from you know, all these awesome students in other programs. And so, you know, I, I think we have close to all 40 partner schools um, attending, you know, more than 400 of those 500 plus attendees are, are MBA students. Mm-hmm. So really a, a unique opportunity just to, to bring folks together who, you know, really don't have a opportunity to do so otherwise. Absolutely. And this might be a hardball question, but 
Is there an irony in getting these attendees to fly to an event like Climate Cap? What are your sort of thoughts on the whole sustainability aspect of that? Yeah, no, it's it, it's a great question. And something, you know, from the get-go, when we found out we we won the bid to host at the, the conference last year, and really at, at the core, the question we had to ask ourselves was, why would someone fly mm-hmm. to Ann Arbor, Michigan in the middle of winter <laughs> to meet with all these other students interested in climate and business? It very much seems, you know, antithetical to the whole point, right? Mm-hmm. Why are we going to, you know, flying is by far one of the, you know, from a personal perspective, one of the most carbon intensive activities we do. And so why are we going to do that? One, let's ensure there is value in that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, while we certainly have some great speakers who I'm, you know, so looking forward to hearing from, we really wanted to think outside of, well, you know, we have 400 plus MBAs coming together. You know, we're not seasoned professionals yet. We don't have 20 plus years working in this, but, you know, we're smart folks. We're passionate about this. How can we leverage our own expertise, our own, our own interests to help drive some of the program? And so we're really focusing on you know, bringing to the forefront student experiences to be able to connect with one another, being really intentional, like you were talking about, Radhika, with the program and ensuring that students have opportunities to meet, connect in more structured ways beyond just a, you know, informal happy hour to actually talk about what can we do about this. We're doing a a club leader social where all these leaders of Energy Club, Net Impact, Food, Bev, and Ag Club, et cetera, who normally don't have a chance to hear from one another to actually convene and to talk about, you know, what are your wins, losses? How are you helping students at your schools, you know, understand, you know, not only the moral imperative, but the economic case to, to be had to work around climate? Um, discussions on all kinds of various topics and then also ingraining a interactive portion and feature to all of our speakers as well to ensure that we're capturing those live questions, bubbling up the most prominent ones and having that engagement piece. There has to still be a recognition, though, that, you know, 400 plus students, 500 plus attendees are, you know, there are carbon emissions involved with that. I'd say that, one, it's still important for folks to convene, that, you know, Mm -hmm. if uh, the pandemic taught us anything was that, While we certainly can fill in some gaps with virtual opportunities, that there is no, at least in my opinion, no direct replacement for having face-to-face time with people. And so if we know that's important, what are we going to do to make sure it is as impactful as possible? And so that's, that's an important piece. Second, though, is also recognizing, you know, we have something we can do, and that's investing in high quality usually locally based carbon credits and offsets as well. Mm -hmm. And this is what we talk about a little bit of leveraging the privilege that we have as business school students from these places of higher learning. Um, You know, we're able to use our resources to, to make changes that actually have, you know, impact. So we're in a position where we can do those offsets and actually take the time to not just click a button on a website, send it off and hope a tree gets planted, but we're actually doing really methodical work on sitting down and looking at how do we partner with different communities and these trusted sources that are investing in lower income communities, in communities of color, high impact communities that can benefit from these carbon credits to build things like heat pumps, weatherization, build resilience projects that result in 
lower emissions on another piece to make up for the missions that we have for the conference. So, you know, it's a, it's a mix of ensuring we're going to, you know, if we're having everyone fly out, mm-hmm. let's make sure that it's worth it for them to come. And then on the second piece, let's make sure that we're going to mitigate the emissions that result from 500 plus people coming to fly out here because we have the opportunity to do so. And that's really our imperative, mm-hmm. you know, coming from these these communities that can afford to do so. Yeah, no, absolutely. And thank you so much for for sharing that. I think I think one of the most important first steps is to talk about it, right? Be able to ask these difficult questions, talk about it. And I'm glad that we're talking about it right now. But from what you're saying, it seems that, you know, climate cap is not only talking about it, but also doing things to help fight that. And I think there's one more thing I want to talk about that Climate Cap is doing. I know that they launched a fellowship program. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that fellowship program is, like why it was created and how it works? Yeah. So, you know, as the response to Climate Cap, the summits has been so positive. Last year, it's sold out in two hours. We doubled the size of the conference this year and we sold out in three hours the organizing body has started to say, oh, well, you know, what other opportunities do we have to engage students beyond just, you know, two days of programming once a year? And so they've started doing uh, a lot of educator talks that happen virtually. So recognizing, once again, we don't need to be in person for everything. So, you know, what are some some easier ways to engage a much broader range of folks? There's over 1,400 current MBA students that are registered on the listserv for Climate Cap. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is a a huge movement that's building. And part of that as well is this opportunity for fellows to come together. And so I was fortunate enough to be selected in the inaugural class last year. And this was building on, you know, some of that intentional work that happens at the summit where we say, you know, let's go further. You know, we're having these great conversations. You know, I'm, I'm getting to nerd out with people about a specific topic. How do I continue to nerd out with them, support one another around specific projects that really interest us, that, you know, maybe help to move the needle a little bit in a particular area or leverage some of those resources, the privilege, the power that we have, you know, at these institutions of higher education to actually start making impacts. And so it was a really exciting opportunity. We, you know, had fellows that did projects everywhere from starting their own new ventures to exploring, you know, what would meaningful changes look like within uh, some of these different industries that don't get a lot of attention from uh, marine and aquatic systems to sustainable fashion. We had fellows that were working on providing energy access and quantifying both the energy and emission savings as well as the time savings for particularly um, indigenous and tribal communities having access to solar power. And what does that do? And, and literally working with communities there, shout out to you there, Sean, for your awesome project. To mine, where I really wanted to set out and understand, you know, how do we continue some of this work outside of the summit to bring together MBA students that resulted in a, a survey and understanding, well, what does the current landscape look like for MBA students interested in climate work? What's going on? What's working? What's not? And then the hope is to publish those results for all these different business schools to be able to look at and say, ah, you know, we understand this is important, but, you know, where do we put our limited resources to so they can actually drive the programs that matter, that lead to impact for students yeah. who want to go into it? Yeah, that makes sense. This episode is sponsored by the Roth School of Business at the University of Michigan. Through our podcast, you can connect with the people and experiences that define the Roth way. 
Check out our other podcasts, such as Working for the Weekend, an exploration of the part-time MBA experience, Business and Society, a business podcast with award-winning Michigan Ross faculty, and coming soon, Down to Business, a new interview series with Ross alum in the C-suite, hosted by Dean Sharon Matusik. All podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. One more question for you, Nick. What do you hope Ross students and the institution will gain from this experience of having the conference here in Michigan? There's a, there's a few things that come to mind. One, one is our hope by hosting Climate Cap and bringing together folks from you know, across North America is to one feature a little bit of the unique perspective we have both here in Michigan and the Midwest. You know, certainly for me, I'll admit this now, and I'm not proud to say it, but, you know, being from California and hearing Michigan and hearing Detroit, you know, I was sort of raised on the idea of, you know, has-beens, the old Rust Belt, Mm -hmm. you know, places in decline, you know, ah, they had their moment, it was good, but, you know, let's move on to the next piece. And, Michigan and the Midwest is really in this interesting point now between both a mix of policy provisions that have come through as well as its unique geographic location. You know, I I mentioned a bit about Michigan being a climate haven and really just this entrepreneurial spirit that that runs through the Midwest. It might not look like a high tech. Yes, I went to Stanford and I created a venture backed startup, but like the amount of entrepreneurial spirit that's here and particularly in the city of Detroit is amazing. And these are people that want to do something. They're not just waiting, you know, on on the end for someone to come in and save them and to, to, you know, make some change. They're doing it themselves. It's just, are we recognizing that? Are we giving them the attention, the resources they need to actually go make those changes for them? And so, we really want to bring that perspective to, to Climate Cap and help people see that, you know, this is an area, this is a region that has long been forgotten about, but the people are still here and they're ready to roll up their sleeves and do something about it, and particularly about climate. And so I'm super stoked and excited just to show off a little bit of what we've been doing here in Michigan, both at the university, the state, and, and the region at large. My hope as well, too, is that people who don't normally think of themselves as working in climate, understand, you know, even if climate, environment, sustainability, you know, ESG aren't in my title, where do I fit in this puzzle? What is the role that I have? You know, uh, you know, I'm, I just, I work around procurement. Like, that's not climate stuff. Like, what the heck? Well, you know, actually, where we choose to source our materials from which types of companies with what practices, you know, who are owned by which individuals mm-hmm. matters, Absolutely. right? Where we spend our money, that's huge, right? You know, oh, I'm, I'm just an accountant, you know. This doesn't really apply to me. I support, you know, I believe in climate change. I think it's important, but it's not really applying to, oh, well, you know, how are we, how are we factoring goodwill? How are we, you know, accounting for initial upfront costs for investments that are going to have a much longer time horizon and payoff point that also tend not to hurt our communities that we care about so much. So, you know, maybe it's rethinking how we value, how we price, how we factor in these quote-unquote costs that a business has. So I think these are part of, you know, the conversations we're hoping to have that I really hope folks especially MBAs, but people, you know, that are even just generally within business begin to understand or begin to even just question, like, what can I do about it? Where do I fit in? 
know, it's not in my title, but do I have some opportunity to be a part of it? The answer is yes. I don't know the answer for every single role in every single uh, industry yet, but like that's part of the exciting piece. And usually it's going to result in, you know, not just once again, a in more environmentally sustainable world, but a more socially and economically sustainable world. And those things have to come together. And that, that's part of my hope is that, you know, that's what gets me excited is like, there's a lot of bad news totally about climate change. But when you start to think about and envision the world we get to create, it's so exciting. <laughs> like the new world we get to build together that also is sustainable is so cool. Like a world where people just aren't as sick, mm-hmm. where just people don't die from unnecessary reasons where, you know, people have access to education and transportation, where they're not spending 30, 40, 50% of their hard-earned wages to like heat their homes mm-hmm. and keep the lights on. Yeah. And in the process, we're also gonna like not have a warming planet. Like how beautiful is that? And so we get to do that. That's the work we get to do on creating this new world. And so I would just say like, please like be a part of it. We, we need you. We want you. This is our future we get to create together. Absolutely. One, one last question on that. When yeah. is Climate Cap? Yeah. So Climate Cap is February 9th to 10th. Okay. We do have some pre-programming happening on the 8th for those who fly in early. You know, once again, we know winter weather hits. So, mm-hmm. you know, get that early flight. We'll have, uh, we'll have some fun stuff for you to do. Check out a little bit of our unique Ross programming on Thursday nights. We have a risky show going on. So you'll have that, but then two awesome action-packed days of programming, Friday, Saturday, that all caps off at the Jack Roth Club, which is in the press box and suites of the Big House, largest stadium in the Western Hemisphere, home of our national champion, Michigan Wolverines. Really hope you guys all come out and join us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Honestly, I don't even want to say anything else, you know, after everything you've just shared with us. Um, I had a blast listening to you. I've learned some things. And maybe one thing that I'll share is that just from what you were saying, it just made me realize a lot of people say, oh, I want to get an MBA to create impact, right? Work and impact. But based on what you were saying, I realized, you know, we all are having impact in the world around us, whether that's good or not. You know, it's a matter of us you know, having that awareness, you know, regardless if I'm an accountant or if I'm a consultant, or if I am an herb student, like you are creating impact in the world, in the environment, and you have to identify is this good impact or not and what can I do about it, right? Um, so thank you for that. And with that, I think, you know, that's a wrap. And so I just want to thank you one more time, Nick, for, for being here with us, for sharing your passion with us. Um, and I hope that we have a great climate cap uh, event. I just want to do a quick shout out to your Climate Cap NBA Summit vest that you're wearing right now. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I think that you know blue looks really good on you. Um, but with that, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for listening to us. Business Beyond Usual is brought to you by the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. Today's episode was produced by myself, David Amarim, and Radhika Honda, and Devin Thompson. Executive producers of BBU are JT Godfrey, David Amarim, Jonathan Brown, and Arpit Sharma. Special thanks to Jonah Brockman, who did our editing today. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, go blue. And this is Business Beyond Usual.